they can sniff it out so quick, you know, if you're not confident in what you're doing. Welcome back to another episode of Champion School. Uh, my name is Ray Mack. That is BZB. Today, I'm going to try not to scream into the mic. Uh, I think that was a major issue with the last one. Um, <laughs> my fault. So sorry about your ears. Uh, but today, we have Ryan O'Hearn. Uh, he is a left-handed power bat, a dude for the Royals. Awesome guy. The guy crushed uh, the interview. Uh, hilarious guy and a dude I'd want to hang out with, to be honest. Yeah, but but yeah. Uh, super fun, dude. Anyways, how you doing, BZB? Doing good, Ray. I'm thinking we need to invite him out to our first Project Sandlot meetup at a TPC Scottsdale here before oh, spring training starts. So that, that. that's going to have to happen. But doing good this morning, man. Good things moving forward. I think the the key in the next couple of weeks is like originally it was like, hey, let's take a little breather and let's chill for a sec. And there is no chill right now. It's like yeah. full on, full board, like one thing to another. So just trying to remain uh, kind of just just staying patient through everything, which is good. So a lot of good things moving forward. That's right. We're chipping away. Winter's upon us. We have the pods are going to be dropping here in like two weeks. So uh, if you have not checked that out, make sure you go to projectsandlot.com. It's officially up uh, and there's a lot of information on uh, what we're doing with the project as well as what the project is itself. So uh, anybody new to NFTs, there's a lot of great helpful information on there and uh, it'll really help you kind of get directed towards what we're doing again the big primary thing is we're just trying to raise money for a bunch of underprivileged kids in, in some areas that just aren't really well off. And we get a chance to bring camps and, and events and sponsor kids, like tons of great stuff that we're all super fired up about. So uh, anyways, check that out and uh, let's get into the good news of the week. The good news of the week. I get to kick off the good news of the week this week, and I'm super excited about it. Hey, we got Ray Mag with the, the robot dance moves. Maybe this is going to be the new intro to the show. But the good news of the week, something I found this morning, a really, really cool, creative, innovative idea, and I love innovation. And so um, this this young woman, I believe she's got to be, so she graduated George, George Washington in 2019. So I believe she's got to be, what? at least 23, 24, maybe. So super young woman, um, entrepreneur, and she discovered or she developed this company called uh, Virtual or Viva Vida. Viva Vida is what it's called. I knew there was a couple of Vs. So Viva Vida, her name's Carly Berryman. Um, And so the, the whole concept behind this deal that she has as business is virtual reality for seniors. And she started in 2019, right before COVID hit. Because a lot of seniors were dealing with isolation, and I didn't know this, but over 18% of seniors account for all of the suicides in the world. Yeah, I had no sad. clue. Dude, yeah. No idea with, with seniors. And so I started to think about it, and she mentioned something in the video. It all started with her grandma, who was feeling isolated in the retirement home. And she's like, they went on some trips, and her grandma made a couple comments like, yeah, I just don't really feel motivated because I have nothing to work for. I just get up, and I know I have nothing for the day. 
And so she made this company where she has the virtual reality headsets using the VR technology to where they can lock into any place in the world. And so what she does is she'll go to the retirement homes and to all these different um, in-care hospice and all those types of things. And she'll give the, the recipients a headset, right? The Viva Vita headset, and they can go anywhere. So a lot of them are like the first time I've ever seen the Eiffel Tower or going to Spain. Uh, there's one in France, like anywhere in the world. And she just programs it into the headset and they can take a virtual trip. And what it tells us is and what she was telling was it psychologically, it starts to trick our brain to think that we actually took that trip. So they think mm -hmm. they're in a vacation, even though they're still in the same retirement home. And so one of the guys on there was like, dude, it's amazing to see a 103 year old woman taking the trip to see the Eiffel Tower for the first time virtually. And so what a great good news of the week, because right now with COVID, I, that's been a big issue with uh, the retirement homes and with a lot of the elderly that they're just isolated because of the high risk. So having something that they can use to kind of just distract their, their mind and be able to go somewhere else and kind of take a, a visualization trip, if you say, outside of where they're normally at was so cool. So Carly Berryman, shout out to you. Viva Vita. We got it. It's amazing. I think the VR is really cool what it's doing and to see somebody get creative with it and use it to help so many other people who uh, need some help. I mean, that was just so cool. So good news of the week. Shout out Carly. Dude, there's so many different things that you're going to be able to do with the VR. <clears throat> like, and this is just an early, early takeoff here, but like, you've seen the videos of people jumping through their TVs, right? Like legit, because the brain goes like, I am a thousand feet in the air right now. Like I need to get to the ground, you know, and they panic. And so like to be able to use that same thing for putting them on a beach in Miami, or, you know, like you said, the Eiffel tower, the, the pyramids, like anything like that is just insane. And uh, your brain just doesn't know, right? Like it doesn't know the difference. Same thing with we, when we really visualize like same thing, if we can experience that in our minds and see it, like we're going to feel that emotion too. So super cool, dude. Shout out to Carly. I love it. Thanks for doing so the awesome. good news of the week this week. I was unprepared. Yeah. So no, it fired me. I was actually really excited listening to the video. So I love young entrepreneurs and I love people who did kind of just go against the grain, you know, and, and she did, she stepped out of her comfort zone. She did something because it was from her family too, which is pretty cool uh, for both of us and seeing how it's helping a lot of people, man, especially when that's a big topic right now. So shout out to Carly, man. That was really cool. That, that goes for this too. If any of you guys listening have somebody in your area that is doing something good for the community uh you yourself are uh anything that would constitute as good news of the week feel free to send it in like we'll give it a shout out for sure because we're just trying to highlight the good and and bring up some of these people that are doing awesome things in their community so shout out to carly again and let's get into this week's end This week is in. We also didn't talk about this. I got so it. I got right it. Now. I got a good one. Oh, I got wow. Good one. He's on fire. <laughs> two for two today. Uh, well, this is, it's, it's a, a gut check to speak to myself. So that's why mm. I'm, I'm, I'm hot on this one right here. Cheers. Uh, so yeah, you, hey, <laughs> you put a ring on it. I know I had to get a little show in there. Uh, Lexi's going to be fired up because she's been wanting to get on the show for a long time. So maybe we, we get her as a guest appearance one of these My days. My goodness. Trust <laughs> me. We get worn out once a week about that at least. So uh, congratulations it. to your engagement that happened yes. a month, two months ago. 
like three or four three months okay. ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, no. So the, the Zen of the week, right. The Zen of the week today, uh, I want to talk about gratitude a little bit because this week I've had less gratitude and I felt oh, more boy. rushed and anxious. Right. So I think just getting back to developing the gratitude, getting used to writing it down or saying it out loud is very important. And then sticking with what works and not trying to fix everything all the time. So gratitude, big piece of what we do. Obviously, we talk a lot about uh, talk a lot about it all the time. It's all over our social media accounts, but really just honing in on what you're thankful for every day, especially around the Christmas time and holiday time. There's so many good things here. Everybody's healthy for the most part. There's a lot of good stuff happening in our families and just being grateful for those little moments too, whether we take a, a trip out to eat like last night with everybody together, which doesn't always happen. Um, being able to just get outside in this beautiful weather, take a hike. Uh, it's easy to think about all the wrong scenarios and all the things that we need to try and fix or the problems. And that's where it sparked for me. There was just a bunch of outside issues, external issues that were just kind of popping up with each one of our avenues. And it was just wearing me down. Like, man, I just don't want to do this. I'm over it. And then when that happens, we just get dampened, right? And we just mm -hmm. stop. We kind of get stopped in our tracks for a sec. So getting back to thinking about what we're grateful for just sparks so many good emotions within our body and our mind. And psychologically, it sends off those endorphins that make us feel good, which is very powerful for us to continue to keep pursuing those things that we want to pursue in our lives. So getting back to the gratitude piece, making sure that every day, hey, just at least thinking about what you're thankful for, what the good is in your life and um, remembering all the good things that are coming your way, because there is a lot of good through some of the bad. And that's where we can really take that next step forward in our lives to have that greater perspective. So a little bit of gratitude attitude today, maybe it was a, it was a like gut it. check and I had to throw it in there. So I'm glad we, uh, we didn't talk about it, but we got it. Lined up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And the big thing is too, like we talk about our, our brain is old. That's geared towards fight or flight. And, and for the most part, that means, Hey, what am I missing? Like, what do I need in my life? And versus the, the harder way to think about or the, the difficult way of, Hey, I have this and this and this and this. And if you can train your brain into thinking about all the good things you have, you start missing all the things you're not, you know, you don't have. So, um, yeah, what you see is what you get folks on the good things. Um, anyways, we're getting into <laughs> probably my favorite interview of the last two months. How about that? <laughs> I N O Hearn not O'Hearn. I botched it again. <laughs> um, but yes, he jumps on again, power hitting left-handed hitter for the Kansas city Royals, uh, and a heck of a human being, man. Like, uh, from, uh, was he from Florida or from Texas? I believe Texas. I believe Texas. <clears throat> so he's out in, out in Texas and he was learning, uh, and he played some real good college ball at, uh, Sam Houston state, a team that knocked us out of the, uh, super regionals and our regionals out there in Texas, or Texas tech Lubbock. But, um, really cool, really cool story, uh, stand up human being and a guy that you want on your team for sure. So, uh, without further ado, Ryan O'Hearn. What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Champion School Podcast. I'm Austin Byler. We got Ray Mack and a very special guest today, Ryan O'Hearn, uh, Kansas City Royals, first base, a little bit outfield. The dude hits tanks. Off the air, I was sharing a story with him. We were playing him in Instructs one of the falls, and uh, we get to the field at the Royals Complex, and we're, we're kind of going in, and we knew the Royals had good prospects, and uh, it's like the first at bat of the game or something like that. And this dude just goes like 450 tater tots, like right center bomb. So Ryan, welcome to the show, man. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely, man. We're pumped to have you. I'm um, just kind of fill us in, man. Backstory, kind of getting into baseball and uh, getting through college and professional baseball. Kind of fill us in on your story, man, and, and kind of where this journey's taking you. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, I mean, it started, you know, as a kid. My older brother played, and and I grew up in Florida. And then my freshman year of high school, my you know, we had a job change, and my family moved out here to Dallas. And uh, and that's you know, kind of how when it got serious for me, I think you know, Texas high school baseball was something that I hadn't really seen before. It was pretty impressive. It was, you know. You, the fourth period of the day or whatever you go out and you have baseball class and, you know, you, mm. you, I learned how to lift weights and, you know, things like that. And um, I think by my senior year, I was still probably like six, I was as tall as I am now. I was probably six, two, six, three, but I was like a hundred, you know, 50 pounds. And uh, I kind of, I knew I was going to go play. I had a couple offers here and there, but um, Sam Houston was the right fit. It was, you know, they told me I was going to play as a freshman and, I was going to get opportunities to be in there. And then I went out and had a really good senior year. I think I hit my senior year. I hit five Oh five. Not bad. Yeah. And I had, I had like the most homers, you know, in the area or whatever. And then ended up um, being an all American, my senior high school, three good years of Sam Houston. We had, you know, for a mid major, we had really good teams every year. We were in a regional every year. Um, and I, you know, got to play every day for three years and then Royals drafted me in the eighth round and, you know, things just kind of rolled from there. You know, you get that confidence, you grow up. I, I was a late bloomer. So I think, uh, you know, I probably wasn't even a fully grown man until I was, you know, in double A or something at that point. I think I just continually got better and then, you know, it all happens quick, um, it's, there's no secret to it, man. I just enjoyed playing the game and it's just got a little bit better every year. And then, um, you know, here we are. It's been, geez, it's been what? I got drafted in 14. So it's been eight years. Wow. Eight years. Yeah. Flies what by. It, what What have you learned in those eight years? Cause I mean, being in so the much. locker room, man, I mean, dude, you've got so many good dudes in that, that organization, but what, but Phil, what, what are some of the things that you've learned even just life-wise, you know, that you can take into your own personal life? Yeah, that's a that's a broad question. That's a tough question. I learned so much from so many different people. I got just um, the benefit of just being teammates with people from all walks of life. And, mm. um, you know, you got how many different languages that I've gotten to play with, you know, over the years and just different personalities, different people. I was really lucky because I got to see uh, that wave ahead of me, you know, I got to see the Hosbers and, and the Moose and, you know, Low Kane and all those guys um, and just kind of see, see how they go about it and how they had fun with it. But, you know, those guys got after it. They did their work and, you know, they knew what it took to win and, you know, the list goes on. So I think uh, just the benefit, I, you know, I've learned so many different lessons, but just the benefit of being around true professionals and, you know, world-class players. I mean, being around, you know, I still get to play with Salvi, but seeing Salvi is, you know, my first major league camp and walking in the building and being like, oh, okay, this is what it takes. This is now granted he's a hall of famer, but it, it was just a good example of what I needed to do. And, you know, the Royals were always really good with that <clears throat> developing guys. And, you know, it wasn't just cause you're a first round pick or whatever that, you know, that wasn't, you know, obviously they liked the first round picks, but it wasn't like, um, I was treated any differently and I got opportunities to play and I played well. And, you know, it's amazing how much, 
you grow just being around good players over the years. Love that. Um, just that mentorship, man. I could see with you guys, obviously Salvi and Locaine and some of those guys, man. And Gordo, not only them. Gordo out, Gordo was huge for me. Dude, and what a sweet swing. That lefty <laughs> stroke, I mean, so smooth. <laughs> yeah. Can't ask uh, for no, amazing. Ray, I'll kick it off to you. Yeah, did you play for Coach Deggs when you were down there? No, I missed Deggs by one year. So I played for at Sam Houston for three years with Coach Pierce, David Pierce. Yeah. Who was the, uh, the coach at University of Texas and um, in that group. And I still keep in touch with those guys a lot, man. Coach Pierce – Coach Pierce did a lot for me at Sam Houston because he wasn't uh, he wasn't always nice, you know what I mean? No. He, he'd give it to you straight, and he uh, he le- definitely let me have it over the years. But uh, you know, I definitely was better for it. Where did where were your guys' regionals? My first year, we played in the Rice Regional, so that was 2012, and we lost to Arkansas, and then. My sophomore year went to LSU regional, which was pretty wild. And that was at the, at the time it was like, uh, I think our, we won the first game against Louisiana Lafayette. So we were the three seeds. So we won the first game and then we played that like Friday night or Saturday night matchup against the, the LSU. And at the time it was a crowd, it was a school record for a crowd. So it was Jeez. like 14 people. I was oh, playing right oh, what? shaking out there, you know, and <laughs> yeah, I, was, I think the, Aaron Nola started the game for them. Uh, Bregman was playing short. Uh, Jacoby Jones was playing center. They had a lot of guys on that team that ended up are still playing and played for a long time. A lot of good players. There's a bunch of no names out there. <laughs> yeah, versus the Bearcats, baby. We <laughs> and you know what? We ended up taking a. I think we had like a six-run lead. And we put up like four or five in the first inning, tacked one on, and then they came back in like the seventh inning. And I, it was a big error and, you know, just shit went crazy. But we had a real shot at it for a minute. And then uh, my and then my junior year was even more interesting. My junior year was – it was a TCU regional, and we went 22 innings against TCU and lost. In the, it was like, like the second longest NCAA baseball game. I don't know. You have to check the record books or whatever. But we played 22 innings against those guys. Finnegan pitched. Um, who else? There were some, there were some guys on that team too. For TCU. Cody Jones played center field. I don't remember Cody Jones. <laughs> Jeez. Cody Jones played center field for TCU and then ended up playing with the Royals for a little while. But but yeah, those were our three years. We never made it past the regional. We made it to regional final twice. And one of them ended up losing it in 22 freaking innings, man. It's crazy. Oh. That's tough. <laughs> That's yeah, we, rough... we, we were at Arizona. I was, I was at Arizona, actually. So we played Sam Houston. We had we took two from them to go to, to win the uh, Louisiana Regional. And then we had another one where they knocked us out in Texas Tech the following year, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, they celebrate that year so much still. Because it's the first time the team's ever been to, you know, Supers. So I was there. I was at Sam Houston a couple of weeks ago for an alumni event, and that's all over the walls in there that year that they beat you guys. Yeah, <laughs> oh, man. dude, those teams are nasty, man. Like, and and people don't understand how many good teams are in Texas. Yeah, like, seriously. Mm. Yeah, I bet Sam Houston's always had a pretty good program, and then like I think literally from like when I got there until now, like they've been pretty dominant. So I think, I mean, obviously you get a mid-major school like that going up against Arizona and, you know, all these big time schools and, and holding their own, which was cool to watch afterwards. But 
yeah. So what what year were you at uh, Arizona? I was there 16, 17, 18. Okay. So we got in. It was just wild circumstance. Obviously, Jay gets there and uh, does a great job. And we roll into the World Series that first year uh, on a miracle run, basically. But, you know, I had never even been out east of the Mississippi, I guess, <laughs> to, to, to put it lightly. So that whole ride was just insane. Didn't that team just absolutely break? Am I, if I remember correctly, like that team yeah. had like stupid offensive numbers. We had two dudes that had over 100 knocks. Like, I think the team batting average was like 390. Like, it was ridiculous. Jeez. Wow. Oh, 390. Come on. <laughs> it was ridiculous, dude. That's so. That's insane. Well, take us through, right? And take us through the, since we're on the topic of college, man, I think for both of us, Ray and I, we had some really good experiences in college, both playing and then for him coaching. And uh, I think it's such an awesome time and a great opportunity for a lot of athletes, especially those who haven't yet developed, right? And we're kind of late bloomers, but yeah. take us through the college experience, man. And just really some of the, maybe the key things that you've learned through college, or even just for a, a high school athlete out there that's looking to find their right fit, right? And understanding what is the right fit for me as an athlete wise, um, what's your best advice? Maybe some of those high school kids looking for their right fit, right. And that destiny that can help them get to the professional level one day. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the right fit is can vary from guy to guy. I think for me, I knew personally that I wanted to play. Um, you know, I had heard stories of guys older than me that, you know, they go to the, the big 12 school or they go to wherever, and then, you know, they're not playing much and then they get cut or they got to transfer and they're in junior college for, and there's nothing wrong with junior college, but, I decided that, hey, I want to go – you know, I had a chance to go some other places, but I wanted to go to Sam Houston because I thought I was going to get a chance to play. The guy – you know, the assistant coaches were pretty clear with me that, like, hey, we need – you know, it was – first of all, it was a new coach. Um, There's a new group of guys coming in, and it was like, hey, we're going to need you to make an impact and play. And, um, so that was huge for me. And then, uh, you know, I was blessed, man. I Coach Pierce was – obviously world-class coach the guys, you know, stuck at university of Texas and he's got connections like crazy. And, and he was just the kind of guy that took me as a freshman and he was like, Hey, look, like, I don't, you know, I don't care how many times you screw up. Like you're going to be our first baseman. You're going to play every day. Mm. And um, just giving me the ability to fail and knowing that it wasn't going to really affect anything. Like I obviously got to play well, but I mean, I felt like I had long enough of a leash that I could breathe and I was comfortable and, and I was getting better and kind of, you know, getting stronger and all that, those things. And, uh, and I had some success early on. And I think, you know, you just gain that confidence and, and, um, and especially in college, it, you know, you guys know it's about winning. That's what it was at college baseball. They could give a shit about, you know, it wasn't so much about, personal achievement as it was as a team winning and that was really hammered into us and I think that uh, mentality helped me big time because I didn't feel like I had to do it all or I had to have the same you know ridiculous numbers that I had in high school or whatever because that wasn't possible and uh and you know at the end of it when everything all shook out it was like the numbers are there and I was like oh wow like you know that was the most fun I ever had playing baseball love my teammates we won you know I know it was just like I found like an avenue to um or a mindset that would work for me but I think yeah definitely if you're a young guy you're a high school guy my advice we go somewhere you can play and if you're one of those you know I'm in the gym with some of these kids that are high school kids they're they're freaks you know if you're gonna go and be a dude at an SEC school and do it 
But if you look yourself in the mirror and it's like, hey, I could go there, but maybe I could go to this other school and play more. And then, you know, things click and you're rolling. And next thing you know, you're the best player in the conference. And then, you know, holy shit, I'm a second rounder. You know what it is, whatever it is. Um, I think that it's been pretty proven that you don't have to be in the SEC to make it to the big leagues. If you have the talent, you have the drive and you, and you get better, you'll get there. Um, but that would probably be my number one piece of advice. Go somewhere you can play. Yeah, that's that massive. Going into it, yeah, because Big especially time. when you're that age, you know, I had buddies going to bigger schools, and it's a lot cooler to say you're going to somewhere else. But uh, you know, when it's all said and done, it's a lot cooler to play. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you get the experience. About the gear. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> hey, the gear is kind of dope, though. The gear is kind of. <laughs> yeah. My freshman year, we had like the most basic T-shirts and the most bad. It was bad. <laughs> And it was like, you boys got to earn the gear. You know what I mean? (laughs) Coach Pierce, those guys are grinders, though. Like, you know, a Sam Houston team isn't going to be a bunch of, like, prissy kids. Like, those dudes want to go win, you know? Those those are all kids from South Texas that want to go win. And that's all they know. Those guys are – I mean, I still have some really good friends from Sam Houston, really good players there, too. And and people are surprised, you know, they don't recruit nationally or anything. But, like, the amount of talent in that Houston area, Dallas area, is pretty – pretty ridiculous did you so like entering your pro career did you still have like obviously you have some swagger to you you're you're confident guy but like did you have that at all times when you were you know entering pro ball or is that something you had to build up just like college no absolutely not i don't think (laughs) uh yeah i think (laughs) no i think you got to um you know pay your dues man you got to fail sometimes you got to learn how to get over that and i think the the um, the confidence and the swagger comes with believing in yourself. Yes. But where does that come from? Like you gotta, you gotta be able to prove it in the cage and prove it, you know, in practice. And then you get a taste of the success and the good life from having results on the field. And then it all just kind of snowballs. I don't think I ever showed up anywhere. and was just like, I'm a man, like, you know, it's going to be easy. Um, but I think it just comes with, you know, yes, you have to believe in your ability, but it also comes with the work associated that's good. I like that piece too. And just like kind of the routines that you build, you know, coming in and humble oh, yeah. and hungry, you know, how, how important are routines? We, we work with a lot of athletes in predominantly high school, college, and we help them with the mental side, right? A lot of mental training, a lot of leadership development, team building culture and all that. And some of the things we talk about is like routines and breathing and just slowing the game down and being present and a lot of stuff that you might hear, but as a high school, college athlete, sometimes you're like, whoa, like, I just need, like, give me the the weighted ball. Give me the launch angle. Give me the exit velo. I don't need this stuff, right? But for you and now seeing it through high-level college, right, you got to play in multiple regionals. Then you're in professional baseball, obviously, with a really good organization. How important are some of those routines building into your daily regimen maybe as, as an athlete, especially just keeping you consistent on the field? Yeah, that's probably the main key is, is consistency. Is, you know, go out and have those consistent at-bats every day you know, play defense consistently, be somebody that they can trust out there. And, um, you know, for me, I think the routine has been massive. It's, you know, having, first of all, establishing a routine that works for you, that you're comfortable with, um, that you believe in, that gets you right. You know what I'm saying? And then go out there and being like, okay, I'm prepared. I did my routine and now it's ready to, you know, it's time to go let it fly. I think, uh, you know, hitting wise, I know for a fact, like I can't, I've heard some guys be able to, I can't go into a game, 
you know, naked <laughs> without doing anything. Yeah. That's the term for the game naked. But like, you got to like, yeah, definitely have that routine in the cage, you know, get your swing right. Have those couple balls that you feel like you're at the right effort level and it's doing the right thing in the cage and that it kind of translates on the field. And even that, especially at the major league level, that doesn't guarantee success, but it's just something that you can always fall back on. Kind of, you know, make sure, you know, I'm the, I feel the same I did yesterday or, or, you know, I'm hitting this pitch the right way, or I did my curveball machine today, or I did, you know, mm. whatever, I, whatever it is that correlates whatever you're working with on the time or working towards at the time. I think that just builds a confidence going into the game. And like I said, you know, that confidence is everything. They can sniff that. They can sniff it out so quick. You know, if you're not confident in what you're doing. Yeah, you can see it in the body language, too. And I'm sure you as a hitter, right? We're, we're hungry oh. when we see a pitcher looking out there dragging his blanket. It's like, <laughs> yeah. dude, I got you. You're screwed. Sure. And um, on the flip side, I felt, you know, on the bad side of that, too. And yeah. it's a bad feeling. It's like you got a wet yeah. newspaper in the back of the box. Five <laughs> intervention on this at bat right here. Yeah, just somehow make some contact. Yeah. Um, Take us through your approach at the plate. Um, there's a lot of young hitters that'll listen to this, and there's a lot of coaches that are going to give this to their hitters. And I think a, a missing ingredient to a lot of people's success is having some sort of approach. You said, hey, don't go into the game naked. Like, have some sort of a plan or routine that gets you prepped to get in there with confidence, whatever it is for you. Um, but for you, left-handed hitter, obviously you hit for some juice. Um what's your approach? Like, what are you looking to do at the play? What kind of pitch are you looking for? What location does it change per at bat? Like kind of walk us through some of those game day routines there at the plate. Yeah. I mean, for, well, first of all, it's changed, you know, mm. quite a bit as the years have gone on. Um, and for me now, it really depends on the at bat. It depends on who's pitching. You know, it just has a lot of variables, but like I, I think like a rule of thumb, like a, a pro, like a pretty normal right-handed pitcher that I would face, you know, you gotta, everyone says, stay on the fastball, stay on the fastball, which, yeah, that's a thing because that's the fastest speed, right? That's the fastest pitch that you're going to have to time up. And I think that's important, but I think it's, you have to be disciplined enough to look for the fastball, right? Or look for the hardest pitch he throws in a certain area and then be free enough to be able to land and adjust to a mistake. Mm. Right. So like you're getting, you get your, oh, yeah, that's my little wiener dog. All of <laughs> oh, my fiance would be jealous, <laughs> but yeah. So I think, you know, having the ability to be on the fastball, but not just so locked in on the fastball that if you see a wrinkle or you see a change up or you see anything else, you automatically shut it down. Right. So you're looking mm. for a location for me. It's always been, my strengths have always been, you know, probably like thigh high and then, kind of away from me i like the ball middle away especially a fastball so i'm looking for a heater middle away this is just like an average like a stock i'm starting the game against a right-handed pitcher whatever and then i'll figure out what his best second pitch is so if it's a slider then i'm you know yeah i'm on the fastball but i'm looking for that ball that jumps out of his hand that's coming back the slider mm. and have it's just it's a fine line because it's having the ability to take a quality swing and an aggressive dangerous swing on the fastball, but also be free enough to keep your hands back and, you know, sit on your backside long enough when he does make that mistake with the slider and it backs up, you're in a good position to hammer it. and you're free enough mentally to get after it. And it's that 80%, 90% swing. I mean, nobody, for the most part, you're not going to have success swinging out of your ass, especially unless you're just lucky, you know, but I mean, for the most part to be consistent, I think it's, being on the fastball, 
but being free enough to look for that secondary pitch, that's a mistake. And along with that, it's a lot deeper than that. That's pretty generic, but like, you know, I'll look at percentages. If a guy flips a OO breaking ball in a certain amount of time to a left-handed hitter like me, then shit, I might go look for that, you know, Mm. or I might go see what he does. O two, one, two, what he likes. Most guys are the same, you know, heaters up and then back foot slider change up away. So it's really you're on your time in the fastball, but you're free enough to get after that mistake and then staying in the middle part of the field. That's really it. Cause you're going to catch a ball out front trying to hit the center field and I'll hit, you know, be a homer to right. You know, I've never had any success trying to pull the ball. It's usually a rollover, even if it's a, even if it's a, you know, one twelve into the shift, it's an out, like it doesn't do anything for you. Yeah. Yeah. You're cutting your window too. It's like your, your window for success becomes out front and in this tiny area, excuse me, versus like you said, having the adjustability, what, uh, what are some things that you've done uh, drills wise that have helped you with that adjustability? Yeah. uh, Well, I've really had to learn, our uh, one of our hitting coaches is John Mabry and he's he's awesome man he's he he's just a stud and he explains it really well and I've kind of leaned on him over the last couple of years but I had to really learn how to use my backside how to hold my backside because I was a guy that kind of would like leg kick jump off my backside and then my hands would kind of tuck down here and I would hit for juice to left field because because I'd be late on a heater but I was strong enough that the ball would carry and then I'd get a uh you know off speed pitch that was a good pitch to hit and I'm off my backside, but I, you know, it'd be like, you're that late emergency hook swing and, you know, you'd be able to hit singles to right field, but that doesn't play anymore because the shift is there. So I had to understand how to hold my backside and really use your front side too. Like, you know, you'll be able to turn against your front side, not roll out of your front side. Cause if you can hold your backside land and then you're still fooled, but you hold your front side well enough, you could turn against it and still juice balls. Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> it does. Perfect. It took me a while <laughs> to understand <laughs> what I just said. But uh, <laughs> some drills, I definitely did a lot of, like, step-back drills. Like, I wouldn't load or anything. I would just, like, get ready, like I'm landed, ready to hit. And then I, they'd flip me a ball or overhand a ball or whatever. And then I would, like, I'd go from there. And instead of turning my backside, I would kind of jump back off my backside to understand how to stay in line, right? Like, stay – keep my body rotating around my front leg and not bailing out. So that was a big one for me. Uh, and then just mixing up, make, make cage work hard. You can make it as easy as you want or as hard as you want, but make it challenging, you know, get a guy that's going to throw overhand short close to you, mix in the breaking ball when you don't want it. Um, get your mind involved in your, you know, your cage work. Like, what are you trying to do here? I think that's one thing that changed for me is I used to just sit up there and hit, you know, 300 balls a day. And then it would be like, I think that felt good, you know, mm-hmm. of like understanding that, you know, taking pitches and being able to vary your, your timing and land swing land. Oh, it's a breaking ball, but it's a hanger. I'm still going to get that one. Just little things like that. Make that, uh, that cage work harder than it, than it has, than it is, you know? Yeah, Bai was a guy that always liked going into the cage and just ripping 400 foot nukes <laughs> off a of flip. So. I mean, there's definitely a time. For that. <laughs> there's definitely a time for that. I think you know you got to have you feel good days every now and then, but probably go 50 50 on that. Yeah, a little more velo machine to make it a little more uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, 
that Vila machine, man. Um, Ryan, I'm going to kind of shift gears here, and then we'll, we'll wrap up into the game that we got here in, in a minute. But um, okay. you've been a huge proponent on the mental game and just kind of getting your mind involved. I love the fact of the cage work, getting your mind engaged and just not just going through the motions and feel good all the time. What are, uh, uh, one, I guess, how important is the mental side of the game now, the, the further you've moved up the ranks and obviously going through the minor leagues and into the majors? Like, like what kind of role does that play for you and your development? And then for any listeners out there, coach or player-wise, what are some things that maybe they can do or practice regularly to help their mental game sharpen a little bit, maybe build confidence or just um, just build more belief within themselves? What are maybe some things that you might be doing or that you've even seen at the big league level? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I've, I've had, I've had an interesting perspective the last couple of years in the big leagues because I've had different roles. You know, I had in um, 18, 19, a large part of 2020, I was a starter. So I was playing every day. So there's definitely a grind to that. And there's a mental side to that. Just knowing you're in there every day. And, you know, and even if your body doesn't feel good, you know, that doesn't really matter. You have to figure out how to get over that grind because 162 games is no joke. And I've seen it, you know, firsthand guys who have done it a lot longer than I, you know, got to play. hopefully I get to play every day again in the future at some point. But I think I've seen, you know, Whit Merrifield do it for however many years and, uh, you know, Salvi and we, we can talk about these guys and they're just the same guy every day. And it's, it's uh, the, the face they put on the tenacity when they get into the clubhouse and it's all about that seven fifteen. that's it. Like, and it's whatever you got to do to get ready to go, 7-15. And um, it's been impressive to see, you know, some of the injuries and the bumps and bruises and the slumps and the things that you go through over the course of a season like that. It's unpredictable. And, you know, the season is never going to be as pretty as you pictured it in your mind. That's just the reality. So it's how can you react to the adversity and the downfall, you know, the, when things aren't going your way. Um, so I got to see, so I got to play every day for a while and, you know, that was an unbelievable opportunity and like, it was awesome because you can afford to, you know, relax a little bit, but at the same time, it's like, you have to get yourself to play every day, ready to play every day at your highest level. And, uh, so that's probably the main mental challenge now ways to, you know, counteract that. I mean, I just feel like that's one of those things, like there's no trick. It's just a gut check. It's like every day you wake up, if you don't want to do it or it doesn't, you know, it's not as easy as it was yesterday or, you know, Verlander's on the mound or whatever the case may be. Like you just have to find a mental way within you, rely on your routines, rely on your teammates, your coaches, whatever, but you have to just figure out a way to just sack up and get it done. That's really all it is. Now the mental side of, my my role more recently which is you know kind of been like um like utility guy play a few times a week but then when you're not playing it's you know it's a pinch hit in the ninth against the closer you know it's it's uh mm. it's that's a different mental grind because it's yeah it might today might feel like a failure because you went 0 for 1 but like you know realistically that's one at bat so you got to take that in stride and kind of realize that and, and plus you got to understand that like you're facing what the rest of the league is hitting, you know, a buck 10 off of it's you're facing those monsters in the back end of the bullpen. So you basically find success in different ways, you know, a quality of bat you might get out on is still a good at bat against Clause or whoever, you know, like, um, so there's that. 
And I think, uh, like I said, man, I just don't, I'm not a, yes, I'm a proponent of the mental game because you have to be, because if you aren't showing up and giving your best and you're not in the, in the, you know, box with that, you know, this is a fist fight mentality, then, you know, this game will just sneak up on you so quick. It's like, Oh wait, what happened? You know, days over, I went over or I did or whatever happened. Um, just don't take anything for granted, any opportunity to play for granted. Um, anytime you get a chance to hit, I don't care if you haven't played in nine days and you know, whoever's pitching, you get up there and you, and it's the fist fight and you grind it out. And that's what it is. So, I mean, I think I've definitely had to take on different um, challenges mentally based off of what my role has been. But like I said, I don't think that there's a one specific trick or key. I think it's believe in what you're doing. You know, that includes your routine, your, uh, you know, your, your uh, scatter report, uh, you know, what the hitting coach says before the game. And then when it's time to make it happen, you know, you can't go out there and play timid. It's no regrets. You know, you let it fly. And whatever happens, that's what happened. So good. The, the competing part, uh, just getting stacking up and getting ready to go. You know, I think it's like at the end fight. of the day. The best pitchers in the world. So, I mean, it's it's a fist fight in there. Yep. And, and you hit it perfect. Sorry, Ray. I'm going to kick it off to you. But, no, but you hit it perfect, Ryan, when you say if you don't believe in yourself, if you're going up there timid, you got no chance. Like you got exactly. you got to find a way to, to dig that dog out of you and, and get up there and be yeah. the best that you can be in that moment. Regardless and that can how you be feel. true at every level, you know? Mm. That can be true at every level. Obviously, it gets harder as you go up, but you know that's true at every level. It doesn't matter. This game, the game is not easy. It's you're never going to go up there. At least I've never gone up there and just been like, "Oh, this is an easy at bat." But you still got to hit the ball. <laughs> you still got to yeah. make it happen. Yeah. Those pinch hits late in the game are like the toughest thing to do in sports in general. Oh, but bro. I did see you turn around a Hunter Strickland fastball and hit about 500 feet. So. <laughs> You know, yeah. we're just going to put that out there. <laughs> um, we're going to get into a quick game. Uh, we didn't really prep you on it, but it's it's pretty low key. Uh, okay. Your boy Zuber did a good job with it, so hopefully, hopefully you do too. Uh, it's called On It or Off It. We're going to give you a, a list of 10 things. You're going to tell us you're on it, what you're about, or you're off it. It's not really something you enjoy, and uh, one sentence as to why. Okay. Okay. All right, number one, poker. Is there a middle? <laughs> yeah, you can take the middle. I'm gonna get that's I'm gonna go middle ground. If, if boys are playing poker, I'll play poker, but I'm not gonna go look. <laughs> yeah, yeah feel that. Uh, fishing. Oh, I'm off fishing. <laughs> all my friends like fishing and all that. And I just, I got no patience for it. Spaghetti. Yeah, I love spaghetti. Building gingerbread houses. I'm on that. Yeah, I'll probably make that happen in the next couple of days. Uh, Squid Game. On it. That was a great show. I agree. Intense. Snowboarding. I I would love to snowboard. I've, I've done it a few times. I think that's going to be maybe like a post-baseball career uh, hobby. That would be something to do a lot. I like snowboarding. Awesome. Hey Arnold, the cartoon. On it. Classic. <laughs> I knew you were right in that window of like, eh, it might have passed him. I don't know. That's uh, banning the ship for a big lefty. Yes, big time. <laughs> Make, it Make it happen, please. I have something to say about that. Can I just get something yeah, out? Please let it eat. The game is a right-handed hitter's game right now. I hope everybody realizes that. You, as a left-handed hitter, you roll it over 99% of the time, it's an out. If you're a left, right-handed hitter, 
you know, guys will hit, will hit uh, 14 hoppers versus a six ball. It's like great swing. If you're a left-handed hitter, you nut a ball 110 into the shift or up the middle. Guys standing behind yeah. second. Wow. Yeah. So I th- how about this? You can shift wherever you want, but be in the infield. Okay. I like I'll that. Give you that. Not the shallow right right fielder. Shallow right field is bullshit. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me get my hook Johnny over the second baseman's yeah, head, man. That's right. I deserve that. <laughs> Throw me a bone every now and then. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be honest, that's not a hot that is a hot take I have not heard. And and I don't speak with a whole lot of big lefties that are talented. You know, I hang out with Austin, but you know. <laughs> yeah, crazy. no, I don't you know the shift, if you're gonna shift, fine, but I think I'm a big proponent of there should be no second right field. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, I'm going to do that. Yes, Byler's a big Cowboys. That hurts. Guy. That hurts no, the ego. Right? Sorry, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they got a good team this year. I've been a, uh, I've been a Packer fan for life. I was in Lambeau about two weeks ago with my old man. Ooh. Yeah. Last one. Opening presents on Christmas Eve. Uh, I'm a Christmas Day guy. <laughs> I think when I was a kid, I used to be able to, my parents would let me open one on Christmas Eve and then the rest the next day. Yep. Oh, yeah. good. Nice job, man. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, That's Brian, a great game. Oh, thank you. We're going to compare it. We'll, we'll go a little side by side with you and Zuber and get you guys going. <laughs> no. We need uh, we need to get Keller on here. I, I got to play with him for a little bit. So maybe he's the next yeah. dude that we yeah. that pop on here. <laughs> but trip um, on here. I know. Let's get it, man. Uh, but hey, we appreciate you, Ryan. We appreciate your time. We know you're busy. You got your cool off season and everything going on, man. We're proud of you and excited for you and um, pulling for you going into the spring, man. And, and we're hoping that that shift thing gets settled, man, for, for you and I alike, man, to be left hand. Come on. Come on. Never know come out of the CBA. It could happen. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, it's geez. a whole nother story. That might be a whole nother podcast. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, but we All appreciate right. your time, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. We're back. Ryan, thanks again, first of all, for joining us um, and taking time out of your offseason. Uh, you and Zub, like just jumping right up and, and getting into some interviews when you guys have this downtime and free time is it means a lot because our community really gets a lot out of it. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, BZB, what do you think about the interview? Yeah, I think for him and Zub, two of my favorite ones here throughout this whole time we've been doing it. Just great personalities and awesome people. Uh, I really enjoyed the fact of, of when you started to dive into the mental game piece, like being a, a proponent of it, not only just a proponent, but then knowing that you just got to find a way to net up and get the job done. I mean, it just comes down to that heart and that belief within yourself. And um, we talked about the confidence piece with them a little bit, and, and I think it just kind of comes over time. But he mentioned something pretty powerful, how his role changed throughout the professional baseball and one, it's a starter, then it's a, a pinch hitter where you're facing the dude coming out of the mound. And mm-hmm. um, that's hard, right? You're facing the guy that people are hitting less than a buck 50 off of all season. And you're expected to get a hit and you go 0 for one and you feel like it's a bad day. But in reality, you could actually have a good day going up there going 0 for one. So just shifting your perspective a little bit was pretty cool to hear from his standpoint. And then knowing that your role changes and shifts, but your preparation doesn't change or shift. And that was really cool to see his routines, believing in his routines and how it's always evolving nothing just stays the same he's always changing and and asking questions and leaning on a lot of the veteran leadership within that royals clubhouse which is really cool to see what about you i was just thinking about it laughing because you know he's pretty humble guy he's not gonna you know dump on anybody and big leaguers are legit like it doesn't matter who you are like if you make it there you're legit but when i dropped the line about him hitting the new cough hunter (laughs) strip like you could just see the smirk 
you know, like it's kind of funny, but yeah, he's a great <laughs> dude. I, th- I think the, the biggest thing is like you said, realizing that you like your career isn't made or break, make or break on one pinch hit. And that's, that's hard to understand from a college perspective because you feel like, and I was the guy, right. That I didn't get a ton of playing time and a ton of starts. So like when I did get those at bats, it was late in games with it either where the game was really on the line or it was really not on the line. And it makes it very difficult to one, be successful and two, go in there not thinking about, Hey, if I don't get the job done, like I won't see the field again, you know, <clears throat> that's just something that a lot of guys, um, you know, I would assume the same thing is, is at the, the big league level too. But, um, you can't put that kind of pressure on yourself when you go into execute because they, they, then you start thinking about the failure piece, right? And the failure piece comes in. So uh, again, embrace the moment, have as much fun as possible. I talked about, talked to another player, uh, former player the other day, same thing. It was like, hey, if you go out and make your only goal, have as much fun as possible, you're going to be successful. And it doesn't really matter what the results are. So go and get after it. Uh, and for Mr. O'Hearn, Thank you so much for joining us again, dude. Like, Hall of Famer. Anything you guys need, you, Zoo, the Royals, if you guys want to hook us up with tickets sometime. We'll that <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with the little uh, home plate tickets over there. <laughs> home plate? That a, that's an opening day home plate ticket. Like, yeah, talk about a three quarter. Yeah, how about an ask on a podcast? Not even direct. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's going to do it for us. Uh, we can't thank you all so much for listening. By the way, shout out to everybody that's been dropping comments. We see you, Hoots. We see you. Uh, there's a couple others in there. We'll pull those out because I want to make sure we're, that we're super clear about them. Uh, I know uh, Nick Mariani is another dude that threw one down there, uh, giving a shout out even on just one of the duck races. And the duck races are, I mean, one of our favorites. So that's going to do it for us. I'm Ray Mack. That's PZB. 